Good evening, everyone. Nice to see you tonight. And um, it's a holiday weekend. A lot of people aren't here, but you are. And um, the good news is the Lord is. He's with us and he's within us. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd uh, like to just a couple of announcements and then I'm going to lead in prayer. One is that we had a corporate worship service this morning. You understand that that's not just once and then um, we go back to normal schedule. We'll be at the uh, morning schedule changing for the whole month of July and then again for August. So we're in summer schedule. You can read the times in the bulletin. Ladies, don't forget, big game night Friday. So you want to be sure that you read about that and, and take advantage of that. And uh, a reminder to parents, we're celebrating communion next Sunday morning in the early part of the service. Well, our children will still be with us, those from kindergarten through sixth grade. So please speak with your children in advance so they'll understand whether or not they should participate and uh, understand the significance of what we're doing. One of the great things about communion is that when people ask questions and we have opportunities to give answers about exactly what it is. Please join me as we pray together now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to come together and worship you this evening. We thank you that we're going to be praising your great name and recognizing that you alone are God. And we're going to be thinking in terms of some of your attributes tonight as we continue looking at what David was doing when he was in hot, when Saul was in hot pursuit of him. Thank you that you are the God who leads. We thank you that you're the God who knows, that you're the God who is able to protect. You're the God who is able to strengthen us and even help us. You're the God who rescues us at various times and in various ways. And it's not just David and the characters of the Scripture, but you're alive and working in our hearts and our lives and the lives of this church and this community and even in this nation. And thank you that we're, we've been able to celebrate independence, but thank you most of all for your truth that lives on, your word that is truth, your son that is truth. And thank you that we're able to celebrate that tonight as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of our hymns are packed with allusions to Scripture, little references to statements about who God is and... Oh, that's tricky. (laughs) Who God is and what uh, He does for us and how He responds to our world. And one of those is number 10, O Worship the King. And as you sing this through, uh, this is an easy song to go into autopilot and just kind of sing it because you know it. But look at all the different ascriptions to God's character, God's activity, God's nature. It's packed. And I trust as you sing it, um, you'll be reminded of those and then the last verse, which puts us into the context. So let's stand and sing. Number 10, O Worship the King. Yeah. 
Okay, you now know your frail, feeble people in God's care. Greet each other with a warm handshake for just a few moments. Thank you, thank you for finding your places. Um, another hymn that we've sung uh, years, I'm sure many years, and then we sung recently in a slightly different setting, again, lists a lot of the attributes of God. Um, if, we, if you were to list your own attributes, uh, you could probably come up with quite a few, but they would not be nearly as impressive as those that we can list about God. So as you're singing through this, if you're able to sing and keep up with it and think through these, uh, at least latch on to two or three that are special to you as you think about what God is like. Let's stand and sing these two songs. Life comes from you, Lord, to prove great and 
times in scripture God makes the point that there's no one like him that he is the only God think of that as you sing those words Power, none 
I'm uh, Dan Hegman from the Outreach Committee on the Council of Elders. It's my priv privilege this evening to, to pray for Peg McDaniel. So uh, let's go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for, for being God, for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. An unchanging God that we can put our hope and our trust in you, in you alone, Father God. And Lord, we thank you for those that have committed their lives to, to serving you, Father, on the mission field. And this evening we pray for Peg McDaniel, Father, and the, the year that you have seen her through with the, the loss of her husband, Dan. And Lord, we thank you that she's moved in and settled in a new apartment with uh, family all around. And Lord, as she has here, she asks for a prayer to, to finish this life well, Father well for you and for your glory and for your honor and well that's my prayer for each of us here this evening that we will do things well for you and for you alone father god i pray now for our off our offering that lord what we offer to you will be used to further the gospel through this community through this world lord that those that you have entrusted with this money will use it wisely father that they will seek to honor and glorify you. We pray now that you will be with the rest of the service, Father, with our pastor as he brings your message. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.
good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. is long and you're losing your song in the night. You can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure and he finds his pleasure in that God never bails out on us. He will complete whatever he sets out to do, and we're going to see that tonight with David once again. So before we do, let's look to the Lord and ask him to grant us great understanding and application in our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you so very, very much that already it's easy to see that on display here this evening is you yourself, everything pointing to you, pointing to your attributes, pointing to your character, pointing to what a great God you are. And for some of us, we believe sincerely that you intersect with us where we need you to. And so tonight, there may be some who are undergoing some troubles of one kind or another. I pray that you would help each one of us to be able to see you as who you are, the one who can take good care of us because you always will and always do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
God who began a good work in us will complete it until the day he's an ever-present help in trouble. That means he's not ever not there. He is there. This is our third part. We're looking at 1 Samuel 23 together. I want to review a little bit, and then we'll get into some more attributes of God. Please don't be concerned if it appears as if the message is a little overbalanced toward the beginning of the passage. The uh, end passage, which contains most of the verses, is pretty straight narrative. So don't be upset when time goes on and on, and we're, we still have a lot of verses to do, but it, they're fairly self-explanatory by the time we get there. We've singled out five descriptions of God, all under the umbrella that he's our ever-present help in trouble. Now, we understand David. We know his life story. We know what's happening to him now, and most of you are aware of what happened to him all throughout his life. He has a continual and escalating trouble during this particular period of his life when Saul is trying to stamp out David's life because Saul is jealous of him, and Saul doesn't want David to get any more popularity, doesn't want him to take the throne away from himself or from his son Jonathan. So he is obsessed with the idea of having David killed. Now that's something that even though David was in that kind of trouble, God was an ever-present help for him in that trouble. And that's relevant to all of us this very night in our lives And I ask you the question, are you in any trouble right now? Do you feel a sense of any kind of trouble at all? Is sin or temptation pursuing you? Is someone after you? Maybe someone at work, maybe among your friends, maybe even among your family. It's really sad when that happens, but it does. Are finances a gnawing concern with you right now? especially those of you maybe that are getting older, you're looking into retirement, you don't know whether you can or not, or you're looking to wonder um, what's going to happen with what I have saved. Is it going to run out uh, before I do? Or maybe your health is a malignant concern for you right now in one way or another. So far we've seen the God who leads. And if you just glance at the first six verses of chapter 23 and remind yourself of where we were. David needed guidance. He needed directions. And if you remember how this trouble, how the chapter began, we had a tug of war between duty and self-preservation on the part of David. He had something that he felt he needed to do to protect his people who were under attack from the Philistines, but he was also under attack from Saul. So he would be fighting a battle on two fronts. He'd have the Philistines in front of him, and he would have Saul and his armies behind him who would hear where he was and what he was doing. But he wanted to protect his people. He needed a God who would lead him under those circumstances. Now, let me ask you a question how that might look for us today. How, how would that look in your life today? A tug of war between duty and self-preservation. Um, there you are. You're kind of caught in the middle. You're the rope, and they're pulling against you under these circumstances. I remember going to a pastor's seminar one time where we were discussing a woman who was a secretary. She knew her boss would be an hour late for an appointment. He knew he would be late also an hour for that appointment. She was told by her boss to tell a client that he would be there any minute. That's kind of a tug of war between duty and self-preservation in a practical sense in our lives. 
In this case, it's the duty to provide things honest in the sight of all people. It's the duty of integrity. And what would this woman do? What would this secretary do? I'm going to ask you this question, and I'm going to come down, and we're going to talk about this if you'll, if you'll be kind enough to do that. What were some reasons for this secretary to tell the client that the boss would be there any minute? What would be some reasons for her to do that? And then conversely, what would be some reasons for her not to tell the client this at all, to refuse to do that for her boss? So you can go either way with this. What are some pros and cons of the choice that she would have to make? Does she tell the client what the boss wants her to, and what are the ramifications of that? And what are the ramifications if she does not? So anybody on either side of that? Yes, sir. I mean, you run into situations like that, and, and, and uh, I, I think you need to hold on to your integrity and not compromise it. But then she would have to explain to the client that the fact that the boss is running late is not an indication that the client's not important. Okay, so, so she would maintain her integrity and yet at the same time um, try to be tactful and kind at the same time. Okay, what if she, let's just take one at a time, what if she did what the boss wanted her to do? What are the consequences of that? Yeah. Okay. So that's a consequence, sir. Maybe she had been witnessing to her boss, and he, he knew she was. Could you turn your hearing aid down? For oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> go, go ahead. Oh, I know your arm. <laughs> go ahead. Keep going. But in other words, she she had been witnessing to her boss, and he was like listening. But now he sees her lie. And there goes her witness. So how subtle is that? Okay, that's a great point. That's one I want to make also a great point. Because if she will lie for him, will she not lie to him? And uh, he knows that. He sees that. And the consequences, I, I think one of the obvious consequences, she could lose her job. Boss could get very unhappy with her, and that's an obvious consequence. And uh, is that the worst thing? Dave? I mean, another point is if the, if the boss is asking her to lie, that probably means that the boss has lied to her in the past, too. Uh, that means his integrity is, is not all there either. Okay. Anyone else? Mike? People reap what they sow. So in this case, whichever way she went, she was going to reap something. And um, remains to be seen what she would have done and what she would have, what she would have reaped. Charlie? She might be tempted to rationalize. I'll generally say which minute you'd be there. <laughs> she might be tempted to rationalize if you didn't hear that. He didn't say which minute. He would arrive at. Fran. I think the secretary would look at it as being honest for us all in terms of integrity, like she could do whatever he asked. And if he did, then she would, no matter what he asked her, she would do that. So she would let people know what she did by being loyal. Okay, so um, there's, there's loyalty there. She could even quote some scripture, couldn't she? If slaves are supposed to obey their masters, even if they're harsh masters, and yet. In the Lord is the, the part that comes up. Think about that. It'll take me a long time to get back up there and think about it as I'm, I'm, I'm going back up here. But as we're thinking in terms of this tug of war between duty and the Christian duty certainly is integrity and honesty. 
and maybe there's some things tugging. So it's not as easy as it might seem, but I think all of us would probably agree that what should happen is the options that she had, she should have taken the option of being honest because that's what we're called to do. That's part of our Christian commitment. She should have taken that. And as Jack was suggesting, even though we we think she only had one choice to make, would she be ruined if she were to do what was right? Would she be ruined if she made the decision to have integrity in this issue? And, And certainly we would agree that she would not be ruined because God might have a better job for her even if she got fired. Think about worst-case scenario, she gets fired. God would have had a better job for her, perhaps. Or maybe God would want her at home. Maybe this is his way of saying, I don't want you working right now. I want you, I want you to be at home. Or, as Jack suggested, she could have been a witness to her boss. He could have been watching her life. And this would have been something that even though she took a risk in doing what she was doing, even though self-preservation wasn't her ideal, uh, he would have seen that. Or it may have been also that, as I mentioned, the boss may reason that if she won't lie for me, she won't lie to me. Here is somebody that I can really trust. I want to hang on to an employee like this. And in fact, I want to make sure that I keep her here any way that I can. She could have even gotten a raise out of it. We talked about reaping what was being sown. She could have been a witness to her coworkers. She could have been a witness to her own family in the aftermath of what had happened. And the... Uh, An important issue, too, she would have had a clear conscience, and she would have known that she had pleased the Lord. That was her desire. So we go back to David. David is caught between duty and self-preservation, and he did something very, very well. He asked the God who leads what to do, and God told him, and to his credit, then David obeyed. And then God blessed David. That's the way that it works. That's the way that the cycle works. So we've seen the God who leads. He led David, and David was willing to be led. You look at verses 7 through 12, we've also seen the God who knows. Through the use of the ephod, David found out from God's infinite foreknowledge that if he had stayed at Keilah, Saul would definitely come looking for him, and the people of Keilah would hand David over to Saul. God told David that's exactly how it's going to play out. And that's a God who even knows what would have happened, even though it didn't happen. He knew exactly what would happen. The God who knew still knows. And the God who knows is also the God who leads in our lives as well. So we can follow the leader with confidence since what he knows is always going to be what happens. He may not lead us with Urim and Thummim. In fact, I'm sure he won't. But he leads us through his word. and He leads us through his Holy Spirit. So let's look further into this chapter to see more about God. Now we're going to look at the God who protects. And this is the God who protects even over the long haul. Let me read verses 13 and 14 as you follow along. Then David and his men, who were about 600, they had been growing, they're up from 400 now, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. 
The God who protects, and I like to say who protects over the long haul. Some of you who are older understand what that's all about. It is the God who is going to be protecting us from everything, and he's going to continue to do that. The one who began a good work in us is going to complete that. He's not going to give up at all at any point. Not all of our difficulties and troubles are short ones. Anybody? Can anybody attest to that? They're not short ones, are they? Some of you have been struggling with certain issues for a long, long time, for many years, and it doesn't seem as if there's any way out of some of those troubles. David was going to have to see God's ever-present help in a lot of troubles. He woke up every day with trouble either present or not very far away. This is going to be for a lot of time. This is going to be for a lot of years. It's going to be at least for a 10-year period. And then he'll have a new set of troubles. But this 10-year period was not an easy one for him. He now had the added pressure of not just fleeing from Saul, but now he had 600 fugitives with him that he had to lead and take care of and see to it that they were fed and see to it that their morale was up, see to it that they were trained to do what they, they needed to do. And I'm sure he had to tell them some things from time to time at least that they didn't want to hear. It's time to move again, guys. Time to keep on the move. So the pressure of those 600 fugitives, not just himself, they all left Keilah, it says, and they stayed on the run. They arose and departed. It says in verse 13, the implication is that it was instant obedience. Then it says they went wherever they could. But we've got to believe that they continued to follow God, the leader. Because David, before this and after this, is asking for God's guidance. What do we do? Uh, He's doing it before and after and certainly during this particular time as well. Saul heard that David was again on the run. We're told that he didn't go to Keilah. But he didn't give up his obsession for killing David. He still continued at least thinking about it every day and plotting and planning and scheming and doing whatever he could do. Now, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the wilderness of Ziph. This wilderness is a desolate, barren area between the hill country and the Dead Sea where there are a lot of ravines and caves are found good hiding places. Now let me give you an overview of where we're headed geographically here. We find, you remember uh, earlier they were in Adullam in the cave and they went to Keilah and this is where the battle was to free the um, Israelites, the, the people of Judah from the Philistines. And then from Keilah, now we're in the wilderness of Ziph and we're going to find that that's going to lead to Horish. And in Horish... Jonathan is going to come on the scene in just a little while, and he and David are going to have a nice reunion, and there's going to be a great thing happening there. And then after all of that takes place, then in Gedi is going to be the next destination. So you'll see that we're, we're not that terribly far from Jerusalem. We've seen Adullam so far. We know about the forest of Hereth. Kela, we've just seen. He's left Kela. He's gone into the wilderness of Ziph, which is going to take him into this area. And we're going to see something very significant happening at Maon also in a mountain there in just a little while. We'll see that happening. So keep this in mind. I'm not going to be able to leave the map up the whole time, but you'll, you'll know these terms as we get to them. So we now have a situation where not only with David, but with us ourselves, not only can the, the pressures of life last for a long time, but they can also be relentless. They can be daily. You look at verse 14, Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. 
keep thinking about God's hand being stronger than Saul's hand or anybody else's hand. We're going to see a little bit about God's hand tonight. But remember verse 7 earlier in chapter 23? If you look back to verse 7, we found a situation here. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand. No, he didn't. God wasn't giving him into Saul's hand at all. Then or now or ever would God be giving him into Saul's hand. But Saul continues to be deluded and demented as well. The good news is that even though difficulties may last a long time, even though they may appear to be often present, God's protection lasts even longer and is forever, ever present. God's not going away. Well, David passed on some encouraging information to us based on his own experience. Let me share with you Psalm 34. If you want to turn to this and follow along with me, you're welcome to do that. Psalm chapter 34, verses 6 through 10. And he was writing these words a little before this incident, that time when he was playing the madman before. It was all during that particular time, not too long before this. But in Psalm 34, verses 6 to 10, This poor man cried, and this poor man's David, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Here's David running for his life, involved in all kinds of troubles, and then later on records his psalms, records what God is doing for him. Another example, and if you want to turn to this, you're welcome to Psalm 41, verses 1 and 2. This was addressed to the choir master, a psalm of David, we're told. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. David's learning these things the hard way, but he's learning them, and then he's giving them to us. God the Holy Spirit inscripturated them so that we ourselves are able to look at that and say, yes, we know that God's the protector. God's our refuge. And David wasn't the only one to experience God's protection. We see it all through the Scriptures. A couple of examples. Ezra did. Ezra 8.31. This is after the exile. They're coming back to the promised land. They're coming back to Palestine. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. They were in grave danger, and they knew it. They prayed. They talked to the Lord, and this was the result of that. David wasn't the only one to experience God's protection. So did Ezra. So did Daniel. You know the story well. Daniel 6.22, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So did Ezra. So did Daniel. So did Jesus' disciples. They also experienced God's protection. Jesus told them, 
In Luke chapter 21, there's going to be a time coming. It's going to be awful on the whole earth. But he said, but not a hair of your head will perish. Not a hair of your head. Now, for some of you, that doesn't mean as much as it does for others. For you ladies, that means a whole lot more than it does for most of us gentlemen. But not a hair of your head will perish. This in a future time of great trouble. Well, Saul and his men are not after you and me right now. They died a long time ago. They're not the troubles that we're facing. But there are other things that cause us pain. There are other things that would destroy us if God would let them. You know what they are in your life. God knows what's going on, and God protects us, even if we don't know what these are. We don't even know what we've been protected from today. Something that could have been right there ready to pounce, and it didn't. There may be drunk drivers out there that were very, very close to making a turn that would have brought them in proximity to us. Drug-crazed cutthroats, incompetent physicians, perhaps, that does happen. Or those who would swindle, those who would cheat. Or there could be earthquakes or tornadoes or tsunamis. And we have a gentleman here tonight who not too long ago was involved in a couple of earthquakes, and you might want to be able to say hello to him over here afterwards. Welcome. Glad to have you with us, and glad God protected you in Nepal. You've heard that in the news, and understanding that God is the protector of all of us. Let me give you an extreme example of something. On the southern road between Atlanta and Birmingham, an engine of a passenger train jumped the track just before it ran onto a high trestle. The engineer slapped on his emergency brakes and reversed his engine. The engine with the train ran out onto the trestle. The engine was so neatly balanced that the author says, I am told a man could have pushed it off to the gorge below. If it had gone six inches further, It would have gone over and pulled the train with it. It looked like a marvelous providential intervention. One of the leading officials of the road told me afterwards that he went to the engineer and asked what explanation he could give why the engine did not go over. He replied, I don't know whether you are a Christian or not. I am. I never go on a run without committing my train and my life into the hands of God. And when I saw the danger on that occasion, I put on the emergency brakes, reversed the engine, and turned my face to God and called for help. I believe it was the hand of God that saved us from a most horrible wreck. But what about... I'm sure we can all rejoice in that story, and we, and we do and we should because of God's protection and a man who prayed. But what about those times when it looks like God's protection is poor? What about those times when it doesn't turn out as well as we might like it to? What about God's people who appear to be protected very poorly, at least the way we look at it? Maybe some of you remember the name Chet Bitterman. Do you remember Chet Bitterman? Killed by terrorists, a missionary. What happened there to God's protection? I know that when I was a young boy, we grew up and we heard all about the five martyred missionaries who were killed by the Aka Indians, who are not the Aka Indians anymore for some reason. Um, They changed the name over the years. But maybe you remember that. Uh, What happened to God's protection for them? 
And we understand that not every train makes it unscathed. It hasn't been that long ago in our area where a train was involved in an accident that killed a number of people. But what about those times? Is something wrong with God's protection? We can say all we want to that God protected all these people and protected us and or protects us and protected David. But please understand this from the scriptures. Nothing happens that isn't permitted for our good. Nothing happens that's not for our good. God promises that for his children, for those who know him and love him. There is no ultimately safer place to be than in the center of God's will. There is no safer place to be, even if it's in Nepal, even if there are earthquakes that are happening and you don't know when the next one is going to be, and even when you're in a place that is very, very dangerous. God does give some people an early retirement he does that as a reward, and he does that as, as, as something for a life well-lived. But God always has a good reason for it. David, after all, would have to die someday, but not a day before God determined. It wasn't going to happen for him, and it's not going to happen for us. There will be a time, unless Jesus comes in the meantime, where he will come to take us individually or maybe in, in pairs or something like that. Someone wrote this in a devotional message. When quoting Romans 8.28, and sometimes I get in trouble with Romans 8.28 because there are a lot of people who say, and don't tell me Romans 8.28. And, and I want to say, why not? Why not? It's in the Bible and it's true. And I know that it's often used. And sometimes people say, oh, that's so trite. It's not trite. Nothing in God's word is trite. And so I'm not ashamed to mention Romans 8.28. But this writer says, when quoting Romans 8.28, we often begin with the words, all things work together for good. Is that how the verse goes? That's not how it starts out, is it? All things work together for good. The verse begins like this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Our knowing comes by faith. By faith, we are confident that God will never disappoint us. And he says, I read a story about a shipwreck. When the sole survivor reached a small uninhabited island, he prayed for God to rescue him, but help didn't come. Eventually, he built a hut out of driftwood for protection from the elements. One day, he returned from scavenging for food and found his hut in flames, the smoke rising into the sky. Angrily, he cried, God, how could you do this to me? The next morning, he was awakened by rescuers. How did you know I was here, he asked. We saw your smoke signal, they replied. And a pastor writes, sometimes God's love almost seems like hatred because of the difficulties he allows to come our way. The final result, however, always confirms its true nature. The next time it seems as if your last hope has gone up in smoke, remember what we know to be true. When God says that all things work together for good to those who love him, he means all things. And so we don't have to think in terms of, you know, there are times when there are not success stories. That's not true. God causes all of these things to work together for the good of those who love him and also for his own glory. We see more of God. We see the God who strengthens and helps. We see this in verses 15 through 18. Let me read those verses. Remember the circumstances. Remember where David is. Remember that he's on the run. And Saul is seeking him every day. 
but God didn't give him into his hand. Verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Don't you love that expression? He strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. David understood that Saul was coming to kill him. And here he was at the wilderness of Ziph at a place called Horish. And how did God strengthen and help David? by bringing his dearest friend to him when he needed him badly. Incidentally, this would be the last time that David and Jonathan would be together, at least as far as is recorded in Scripture. But God uses people in our lives, and he uses people in our lives the most when those people in our lives strengthen us by the hand of God. And we'll turn our attention to God and tell us about what God can do for us. So what kind of help did Jonathan provide? He strengthened David's hand in God. And that's, again, the best kind of help that anyone can ever offer. He helped David find strength in God. He told him not to be afraid. He told him that Saul wouldn't find him. told him that David would be the king of Israel with Jonathan at his side. They made a covenant together. All of this was with God at the core because he was strengthening David's hand by God. He wasn't leaving him out of this. He wasn't just saying to him, things are going to look up. He was telling him, we've got a God who is involved in the middle of all of this. God was the reason why David didn't need to be afraid. God was the one who would bring this all about. Interesting that Saul couldn't find David, but Jonathan could. Jonathan could. And again, we've got to see God's hand at that as well. Let me ask you this question. Do you need a friend like David had there? Or better yet, do you need to be a friend like Jonathan was there and strengthen others with the hand of God? Some tonight might need to receive and some might need to give. But at the same time, choose your friends very wisely, the ones who can strengthen your hand in God. Be a friend who knows how to point others to God. And if you're hurting tonight, If you've got some troubles, I'd like to try to be that friend and share three random verses with you right now to strengthen your hand in God. One of them that occurred to me was 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Think about that. Meditate on that. You've got it on your outline. Uh, Read that more than once, more than tonight. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, Moses was having a a bit of trouble. He had just come from the Red Sea, and he had to lead all of these people, all of these complaining, griping people. But God had just protected and delivered. And so in Exodus 15, 2, in his song, Moses sang, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. If you're hurting tonight, find strength in this God. 
And then Psalm 46, as we've been trying to tie everything into Psalm 46 during these last three weeks. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Interesting, when God brings someone to us who can strengthen our hand in him and in his word. There was an Idaho businessman by the name of Don Bennett who was the first amputee to climb to the summit of Mount Rainier. That's 14,410 feet, and he did it on one leg and two crutches. During a difficult portion of the climb, Bennett and his team had to cross an ice field. To get across the ice, the climbers had to put crampons on their boots to prevent slipping and to dig into the ice for leverage and stability. Unfortunately, with only one cramponed boot and two crutches, the only way Bennett could figure to get across the ice field was to fall face forward onto the ice, pull himself as far forward as he could, stand up, and then fall forward again and in that way inch his way across the ice. On this particular climb, his teenage daughter Kathy happened to be with him, and she saw what was happening to her dad. Bennett's daughter stayed by his side through the entire four-hour struggle. She shouted in his ear, You can do it, Dad. You're the best dad in the world. You can do it, Dad. You want to know what leadership is? What Kathy did is leadership. Her belief in her father and her verbal encouragement touched a place deep within Bennett, strengthening his resolve and commitment. That's what the Jonathans of the world do to the rest of us. They come alongside and they strengthen our hand in God and they say, you can do it. You can get through this. Don't give up and don't give in and don't get disillusioned. And we see the God who rescues the God who protects, and sometimes the attacks come anyway, and God has to rescue us, and it happens. And I'd like to read verses 19 through 29, and these are the verses that I said would have not a whole lot of comment. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Saul said, I want to make sure he's there. I don't want to false start. I don't want a wild goose chase here, so go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it has told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arab to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to see him. Apparently the Ziphites followed through. We're not told that, but that's apparently what's happened. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. 
Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Sometimes our protection is more dramatic than it is at other times. Sometimes we don't even know it's happened. This time we did. The Ziphites were prepared to sell David out. Again in verse 21, isn't it interesting how pious Saul was? He was taking God's name in vain again. Remember, not everyone who uses God's name walks with God. There are a lot of people, and we talked about this last week, even professors in universities teaching religion classes who talk a lot about God, but they don't really know God. Well, the net really seems to be closing in on David now in verses 24 through 26. Verse 27 describes a real coincidence, doesn't it, with the Philistines attacking at just the right time. How many of you think that was a coincidence? I hope you don't. It's not a coincidence. It's God's protection. It is the God who rescues. That's why it's called the rock of escape. It was memorialized, not because of a coincidence, but because of a God who rescues. Same God that we read about in 1 Samuel 17, 37. You'll recall this incident. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. There's Saul talking about the Lord again, but not really knowing the Lord. Will you turn with me please to Psalm 54? Psalm 54, you'll find this I think very interesting and I trust more encouraging to us about what a great God we have coming from someone in a situation who knew, someone that we've been looking at. Psalm 54, it says to the choir master with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? It was out of this occasion, these words came, were inscripturated by God the Holy Spirit so that we could intersect with them tonight. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Selah, stop, maybe think about that. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a freewill offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in the New Testament. Second Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He had some troubles as well. And he understood that God was the God who would protect and rescue. 
And so we've seen the God who leads, knows, protects, strengthens, helps, and rescues. See a picture on the screen? When NASA began using a new kind of space telescope to capture different spectrums of light, researchers were surprised at one of the photos. It shows what looks like fingers, a thumb, and an open palm showered with spectacular colors of blue, purple, green, and gold. Some have called it the hand of God. It is not, but some have called it, and it's a reminder. They call that the hand of God. We've seen a lot about the hand of God. And no, Saul, uh, the hand of God is not going to deliver David to you. The hand of God is going to protect him as well as all of the rest of us. The idea of God reaching out his hand to help us in our time of need is a central theme of Scripture. In Psalm 63, we read, Because you have been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Life can be painful at times, but God offers his comforting hand in the middle of it. We are never beyond his reach. He is an ever-present help in trouble. And we see it over and over and over again. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've caused us to intersect with these words from your word tonight, perhaps because we need to hear them this very evening, or perhaps we need to hear them or be reminded of them tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But thank you that our confidence is totally in you, not in ourselves, in no one else, in nothing else, but in you the God who is all of these things and much more that we weren't even able to rehearse tonight. We thank you for all that you're doing and will do. We trust you. We place our confidence in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps one of the simplest meanings of the word holy is just different, totally different. And I'd like us to sing as we think about God, that very familiar hymn, Holy, 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 262 and realize as we listen to this story of David and we think about God and all of his attributes that he is different, he is holy, he's unique, um, totally different than we are. Let's stand together and sing those four stanzas.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.